Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets. Each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. Miss Natalie, we have never actually met until virtually today. Um, We've had near, near experiences, but we have not met. And I have followed you from afar for a long time and loved your journey and see the waves, the grief, the, the happy, the fun. And I just, I want people to see and to have that more into their life with exactly what we were talking about before this. They don't have to wait until the shit hits the fan. Hold up. I didn't even get to tell you who Natalie is, but before we do that, you have to listen to some of the behind the scenes. (laughs) She made me laugh and she made me cry. Because I really need you to hear this story. So this morning I'm like, shit, I need a podcast like bio. I haven't, I've been saying no, just, you know, I only said yes to you because you're you. I've been saying, I've been saying no to podcasts, probably like three or four requests a day sometimes for two years. And I said, yes, because it was you. I want you to know, because I, I really, I've watched you. I've like from the wings, I'm getting emotional, which is, um, really sweet. And that makes me very happy because it makes me want you to see like that. I genuinely have watched you have watched the evolution. I've watched the courage and just had this sense of like, um, I don't want to use the word grit, although I do think it's been gritty, but there there's this, um, fortitude Mm -hmm. that I've seen grow in you. And that's what I want for people because so many people are hurting and they wait for these big major shifts in their life to make changes. And you unfortunately had a major shift in your life and we don't have to wait for the shit to hit the fan. Right. And so I think that what you're doing allows people to feel empowered, to be really brave when there's not an inciting incident. And that is so important. So I, I just think we're, we're, we're the same because I feel the same about you. And one of my biggest things in the last year has been like, how do we give this to people so that they don't have to go through what I've been through? How do they get to have this beautiful life that they get to find more of themselves and love more of themselves Yes, without all the crap. So yes. I love, okay. I got, I I'm making a note because I know I want to come back to that. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, but this is a story I was really going quickly going to tell you. I know you have to go, you have a life, but, um, I'm just pretending like we're at brunch. (laughs) So whatever we're doing it. (laughs) That's right. You're in Hawaii. Um, I'm in Utah. It's the same. It's it's the same. (laughs) So, um, I go this morning. I'm like, shit, I need a bio. And so I'm like, I literally Google Natalie Norton bio. Cause I'm like, it's somewhere (laughs) it's somewhere like I, at some point. Right. So the first one that comes up is like this thing on CNN. Cause I did like, I did some writing for CNN and it's like, so bad. It's like embarrassingly bad. Like you can tell I was like 25 and trying to sound like I was like a 50 year old seasoned journalist, you know? And then the next thing that comes up is like this wiki fan thing. And I'm like, Oh, I'm famous enough to have oh. one of these, but I'm not because when you start reading it, it like has no information. It's like Natalie Norton, a uh, famous celebrity American, uh, influencer. And then underneath it, it says, uh, net income, $2.5 million. <laughs> and I'm like, 
this is an interesting thing. And then it goes down and it says my height and it guesses my measurements. And then under it, it says frequently asked questions. And one of them is, um, does she like cooking? And then the answer is unknown. (laughs) Then the next one is, does she go to the gym? The answer is yes. And I almost sent you this page. I'm like, this is a great bio. Like this would work. But finally, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered, finally, I found something, but it's so like, it's just, it's almost like embarrassing. So we're going to, we're going to do it because guess what? You're not embarrassing. It's embarrassing to write our own bio, but guess what? It's all true. And people love you and people who are new and don't know you yet will love you. So that's why you're here today. Deal. And like I told you, when I asked you, like, why haven't I asked you before? It made no sense to me. I, I just sometimes forget because I'm like, oh, I love this person and I follow and I do the yeah. things. And then wait, why don't other people? I need to make sure everyone knows yeah. this person. Oh, so so thank okay. you for saying yes. Okay. You got this. Here we go. I'm so excited to have my friend Natalie Norton with me today. She's going to talk to us about how we don't have to fight to heal. We can do it in a beautiful and softer way. Natalie Norton is a speaker and a master certified life coach, and she's also the host of the Show Up podcast, which is now coming back after a hiatus. Natalie's writing has been featured across many different genres in both national and international publications, both in print and online, including the Huffington Post, CNN, Forbes, InStyle, and many more. She's a co-author of the bestseller, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, which won this prestigious award, San Francisco Book Festival. A passionate ambassador for mental health education and destigmatization, Natalie travels the globe speaking to audiences on the subjects of mindfulness, integrative wellness, purpose, passion, and peak performance. She and her husband, Richie, are the parents of four sons. She's also hilarious. Uh, yesterday, you shared a story, I think it was yesterday, on social media about <laughs> kind of your former yeah, photo my shoot former, life. My former life, right? Exactly. Former life. And how people showed up. And can you share that story here? Yeah, I am actually really glad that you asked about that specifically. First of all, because it's hilarious. Second of all, because it has such a wonderful arc. Um, So I, as Ashlyn mentioned, I was a wedding photographer for over a decade. Um, I started shooting back in 2006 and I shot all over the world, honestly, um, towards the end, the majority of my clientele was actually a celebrity couples. And I was in Beverly Hills a lot. And I was on the East coast a lot. And it was a wonderful, wonderful line of work. And I feel so blessed to have been able to be such a significant part of one of the most significant events, arguably in a person's life. And it was very rich and fulfilling. Um, and because of that, I'm just very, I still have my, like my fingers on the pulse of, you know, the industry and what's going on. I also happen to live in Hawaii. And so <laughs> yesterday, a very big swell, which just means large waves came, um, in from Tahiti, which isn't incredibly common in the summer months. So nobody's planning if they're planning a wedding in the summer in Hawaii, they're not thinking, oh my gosh, there could be 20 foot waves. Like we should like set up differently or right. It's not a stormy season. It's not a big wave season. You might get some big waves on like the South shore, but the North shore is like as flat as like your bathtub. So because I live in Hawaii and because of this big swell and because of my connection to the wedding industry, I got I, I, I'm such like a number exaggerator. I want to be like hundreds. 
I got 1000 DMs. No, I, but I did get, I, I do think fairly like a dozen is like mm-hmm. a fair number of all of these different wedding venues that are like, or like wedding setups that are along the coast. Yeah. And because of this big swell, these big waves are coming and truly you're just watching all of this work, like centerpieces and these gorgeous table settings and canopy tents and like these floral arrangements that you're imagining, like just took so many hands and so much effort. And this, these brides that have worked, you know, and grooms who've worked for months, years, even to plan these perfect events. And you're just seeing these huge waves come crashing up over seawalls and truly just wiping everything out as people are running and screaming. And like, it's just absolute chaos. And, um, I, I feel bad admitting this, but I also, it's just the honest truth of me. I, I'm watching all these videos and I want to make it clear that they're different weddings. Like I'm not, it's yeah. Several people sent me the same links, but like I, there was at least five or six different weddings that were different, totally different situations, but Mm -hmm. same essential story. But, um, I'm watching these over and over again, like on a loop and I can't help it. I'm like maniacally laughing. Like I'm like, have tears streaming down my face, like dying laughing. (laughs) And my husband comes in and he's like, what is going on with you? Um, because in part, I've actually been working a lot on laughing more. That's like a goal that I have. So maybe that's part of it. Um, cause I think it's really good for our central nervous system, which maybe we can talk about a little bit later here if it comes up, but he thought I was like doing a laughing exercise and I'm like, no, 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 you gotta see this. You gotta see this. Like, so I have the whole family around and, and they're watching it. They're not laughing. They're like, mom, like, this is so sad. Terrible. And I sat and I thought about it for a minute and I'm like, why am I having this response? Like genuinely, why am I, why do I think that this is funny? Mm-hmm. I also felt a tremendous amount of empathy. And I want to definitely acknowledge that because I did feel empathy. Um, but I also thought it was very funny. And I realized it was because over the years, every single bride that I've worked with, like from all walks of life, all, I mean, just the, such a diverse range of, of couples over, you know, 2006 to now 2022, right? Like that's a a lot of couples over the years. And I truly was imagining these brides and these grooms. And I was imagining every single one of them. I genuinely believe like fervently in my soul, believe they would have been bummed for sure. And I really feel like almost immediately they would have just turned around and been like, Hey, DJ crank, (laughs) crank up the volume. And let's do this because this is it. This is our wedding day. This is the one we've got. Mm -hmm. It may not be the one we planned on. It's a fluke situation over which we had zero control. It's not like anybody messed up or screwed up and ruined the event. Like mother nature threw some waves that destroyed these, these amazing setups. Like that just happened and it is what it is. And let's, let's go. This is where we are. Let's go. Let's have fun. And so that was kind of where I was coming from. And I expressed that on my stories and kind of showed uh, some different angles of people's weddings getting like drown out. And then it was so cool because later in the day, um, I got a message from a girl who, um, is a wedding planner and she's worked with these same vendors and the same planner who's done some of these weddings that mostly it was on the big Island where the, where the problems were happening for people. And she expressed exactly what I had suspected. 
that like, it was like all hands on deck, all these vendors just like rallying, doing their best to like truly like bring out dry food because like even <laughs> food was like, like soup all of a sudden, you know, and oh. just rallying together and working together and that they partied until dark and it was just the best day ever. And then this morning, actually, I got a message from the actual wedding planner of the one wedding that I saw get drowned out or, or baptized by Pi, the, <laughs> the ocean. Um, and she said, she shared pictures and I, the bride and groom just looked so exquisitely happy. I mean, everything that they'd planned for had turned out completely differently than they'd planned and they're smiling and they're joyful. And, mm-hmm. and one of these images, I mean, I'll have to like send it to you. Maybe you can put it in the show notes or we can post it on Instagram or something, but it is maybe one of the coolest wedding pictures I've ever seen. It's this huge floral arrangement that I mean, just to put things in perspective, sometimes people are spending like thousands of dollars per arrangement. So like, this is like a pretty amazing arrangement. And you can see this photograph of just this huge block of water coming up behind it. And you know that that's the last, I mean, once that, that one second in time was the only chance they had to get that photograph, but that's so cool. They have that forever. Yeah. I mean, it just, the way that they handled it made me think so much about life. And, um, long, long story, a little bit shorter, I just realized, and I've realized this so many times over my life, but particularly as I was reflecting on that situation, how it is what it is and we can laugh or we can cry and we can also do both. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be either or right? right. Sometimes when life is really easy or life is really hard or whatever, we have this sense that there's like a And maybe A is like the hardest thing in the world and my life is ending. And Z is like, everything's amazing. And I'm like in this like land of bliss and nirvana. And we forget that in between A and Z, there's a lot of other letters. There's so many other options. And I would even push it further to say that there's an infinite number of responses Mm -hmm. we can have to situations. And if we start to be curious and to be a little bit more neutral about the things that happen in our life and not not gear our thinking towards the lane of victimhood, um, or why does this always happen to me? And we Mm -hmm. have a lot more flexibility around the path we do take. And that's not to diminish the hardship. It's not to diminish the difficulty. It's not to, the point is that we're so much more empowered when we are awake and aware of options. And so my primary goal for all of us, for myself, for my clients, for the people that I, that I speak in front of whatever, it's always, how do we take ourselves from disempowered thinking, from thinking that circumstances are doing this to us. And the circumstances may honestly be the shittiest circumstances in the world. And I get that, but I still don't want you to be disempowered. Mm -hmm. I want you to be empowered to make things different, despite anything that comes your way. And that story just so perfectly illustrated um, that very deeply seated life philosophy that I will say hasn't always just been easy. It was hard earned. <laughs> okay. <And> there- <laughs> that's the thing is I'm one, I want to see that picture yes, because that just seems like that's life right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you're speaking this, I'm thinking, wow, a younger version of me was absolutely disempowered. And I literally made a list of all the bad things that kept happening in my life. And guess what happened? 
just more bad things. And it's weird. I used to be called a pessimist. And now when people are like, oh, you're so positive and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that is bonkers to me. Like I have- I was going to say that's bananas because like (laughs) the last word that would ever come to my mind to describe you would be a pessimist, would be pessimism. Like, like you could give me a list of a thousand words and it would for (laughs) sure be like bottom, like the bottom that's blows my mind. But that to me, I, I don't know if everyone needs to have their own testimony of feeling empowered and not I did. And I was one of those people that I wasn't taught to not feel like you had a voice or to, to take care of yourself or to seek help. But here I was mm-hmm. and just sitting in that victimhood saying, yeah, life just happens to me and it sucks yeah. and this isn't fair. Yeah. Uh, so for me to wake up was an absolute process and I'm still waking up and maybe forever waking up. Yeah. And a lot of it for me is just getting rid of that. It's either this or it's that it's, it's, yeah. it's A or it's Z. And to realize there's so much in between and beyond. And that sounds maybe overwhelming, but for me, it was empowering. Like, wait, I have options. I can find someone like Natalie and she can help me figure out how to change my life. Like, okay. Yeah. This, I had no idea that there were people out there who were getting help or that there was help. Yes. Like, like just for me kind of thing. Or that we were like allowed to ask for help, like in the sense of like not being an inconvenience or not like admitting some kind of great, like fatal flaw that meant we weren't capable of managing things ourselves, like, especially as women. And I, and I don't mean to say that in a way that it all like diminishes men's experience. Cause I know that it, this isn't something that's specific sure. to our gender, but we have, there is a lot of socialization around, um, I want to put this in the most delicate way possible, um, <laughs> like bitching about our problems to our girlfriends, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not yeah. necessarily like getting help. Like there is a difference between like yes. venting and getting help. And I don't know that we've always been conditioned to see the difference. Like a lot of people will go out and have like a girl's night and they feel, Oh, I feel so great. I like, just like, we just talked and like, let all this out. But like, all it really is, is reinforcing those grooves in the brain that are already following that pathway of victimhood or of, mm-hmm. you know, frustration or anger. And we're just continually reinforcing that every time we repeat those stories and like you writing all of those things down again, just reinforcing those pathways. Um, but the amazing thing is, is that we know that our brains are capable of so much change and growth. And that is just the most empowering thing ever really to realize mm-hmm. that we have the capacity to make not just shifts in habits, but shifts in the actual way that our brain receives processes and responds to stimuli in our lives. And that talk about an empowering thought, right? Um, something you said a minute ago reminded me of a time when I was talking to a coach and it was a very specific type of coaching that was like really connected. And I've actually been since trained in this kind of coaching. And I do think that it's great. Um, we won't even go into that, but I will say that I'm talking to this person and she keeps coming back to like this thought that I've expressed that I think, and I'm, I'm so frustrated. I just remember sitting there and like, really just wanting to like reach through my computer screen and like grab her by the shoulders and be like, why are you oversimplifying this? Like that might make sense to someone who is just thinking, I I wish I could remember what the thought is. I don't even remember, but I had this like very real experience of 
that might be true for someone who didn't lose a child, whose brother didn't die, who didn't have a failed adoption after two years of uninterrupted custody, whose son wasn't hit by a distracted driver and ended up in the ICU for months, who someone who didn't have a stroke when they were 35 years old. Like I'm making that same list in my own mind of all this stuff. And I'm saying this simple thing that you're teaching me is offensive. Like I'm not saying Mm. those words exactly, but that's what's happening. But it feels like like that. Yeah. How dare you diminish this by telling me I can like feel better by changing the way I think about this. Like thinking about my son isn't going to make him not be dead. Like it's going to, you know what I mean? Like it was just, it was, it was an interesting experience, but this, this coach, I have to hand it to her. She was so skilled. She took a deep breath and she looked me right in the eyes. And she said, I know you have been through so much pain and my only desire, my only desire for you is for you to stop being so disempowered by it. And it was just like this light bulb moment where I realized it's all still real. It's all still there. And I can feel it. I can acknowledge it. I I can, it's a part of my story. It's like tattooed to my soul, some of these traumas, but not in a way of like, like not having processed the grief or worked through it or whatever, but in the way of this was formative for me. And this matters. This is a foundational part of who I have become. And I don't want to just like throw that away with like Pollyanna thinking, right? Like I want to, I, I think that might be a reference. Like nobody knows. You guys know who Pollyanna <laughs> is, right? Whatever. Google it. They may not. <laughs> Google it, you guys. My gosh, Pollyanna was, was something else. But long, I mean, to like give you like a quick digest, Pollyanna was the one who was just like, everything is awesome and everything will work out just great. The sun will come up and everybody's happy. And like the idea that you can just positive think the way, you know, your problems. And that's not what she was saying to me. She was saying all of that can still exist and you can still be empowered in your life. Mm. And it was, it really, really shifted things for me and, um, changed the way that I processed my own trauma and my relationship with my own hardship. And it also really informed the way that I work with others now, because I think that especially in the early days of loss, like my, my brother died first and then, um, he was 21. I was several years older than him. It was unexpected, died in his sleep. I'm totally healthy. Just died in his sleep. And then shortly after that, my, my youngest son died. I mean, like we're talking two years later and just so this litany of things, just one after the next, after the next. And, um, realizing that I had developed this, this very powerful belief, this thought that healing had to be like face down on the map, blood, sweat, and tears. Mm -hmm. And I had sort of stayed in that space with each additional thing that had showed up. And then suddenly little things that were showing up were causing this same central nervous system response of like, everything is the worst, you know, because like, I was really programming myself that like, we had to fight to get well. We had to fight Mm. to be happy. We had to fight, fight, fight. And now knowing more, I realized that some of what's happening there is a limbic system impairment, right? We're stuck in this state of the brain that is by the way, the most primitive part of our brain, the one that has evolved the very least that is everybody's talking about it, but it's not because it's cliche. It's because it's true and scientific and it can help our lives. Um, that, that state of fight, fight, or fight, flight, or flee, freeze, freeze, Freeze. fight. Okay. (laughs) What, what Ashlyn said, but, um, (laughs) but the idea is I was stuck in this space where everything felt suddenly like a threat. Mm. And so my mind and body 
physiologically, every part of me was responding yeah. even to <laughs> tiny things in my life as though it was a threat, which was like your list of all these bad things that keep happening, just reinforcing those grooves of everything's hard, everything's hard. And when I made the shift to say, hey, what if, let's go back for a second, that A and Z, right? Like it's mm -hmm. either A over here in, in like the worst thing ever, or Z in bliss. What if the extreme for me could be, what if I could choose my extreme to be neutrality? What if I am extremely committed to remaining neutral? Or what if I am extremely committed to finding the middle ground? What if I choose for my extreme to be coming to this center space and being as balanced as I possibly can to allow my nervous system to start to relax a little bit mm -hmm. and my brain to start to process things with more awareness so that I could guide and direct it rather than allowing that limbic system response, which is completely, I hear children screaming out there. I'm sorry. It's fine. Um, but, um, allowing that limbic system response, which is involuntary to just run everything. Yeah. Right. And so it, it really just changed so much pushing me towards wanting to be more empowered and to empower others and pushing me towards the possibility that maybe healing and getting well could actually be gentle and could actually be tender and could actually feel, I, I want to say empowering, but the word I'm actually looking for is like nourishing mm. or, um, I don't want to say self-care because it's not even that, but just like this desire to like, like rock myself into wellness rather than like beat myself yeah. into submission and keep putting one foot in front of the other with like my nose bleeding and like both of my arms broken and my shoulder out of socket. Like I got to keep going, you know, <laughs> but instead, what if I could like sit in a rocking chair and also heal mm. and also do really good things in the world and also have impact and also actually get well, like what if, and then that, what if ended up being absolutely true. And now I've turned that what if into a plan and a program to help others do the same. Hmm. I love that. I love the way that you described that because I have tried both mm. and it does feel different. Yeah. And, um, just taking a minute to, as the listener to just breathe that in that this doesn't need to be a fight yeah. that we can love the process and hate the process, yeah. but be in the process without yeah. the, the fight of it. Um, yeah. I, wanna, I, go ahead. I just have to say, um, a couple things yeah. first, the world that I live in is filled with betrayed and and women who are now getting divorced, not even from betrayal, but they connect with me in those two heavy things. Right. Um, and I used to think I didn't want to be connected to those women because it was dark and it felt icky. I felt icky. And so I would go to these support groups that now I offer. And I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to connect with these women. I didn't want to share my story. Um, one, my story felt small and, and then you have the women whose stories feel too big and they don't feel like they fit in either. And now that's when I felt like I was in the fight 
And I was yeah. pushing against the healing. Like, I don't want this and I don't deserve this. And I'm not responsible, but like life happened to me and I shouldn't even be here. Yeah. Um, when I finally moved into that, like, okay, I'm going to release all that and to start moving into, I'm doing this for me. I'm healing for me for nobody else. And it will impact people yeah. around me, but it's for me. And I deserve to be happy and soft and have that radiance back that I was missing for so long. That's when I started to create these beautiful relationships with women yeah. that I hadn't had. Mm-hmm. And so it's the most interesting thing to, to go from women are kind of an enemy to me to, I have so many beautiful women in my life with all different stories who I love and who I can connect with because we, it's that same vibration. Yeah. We're in it to heal and be soft and not to ruminate in, in the heartache. So I just had my first retreat and it was for women who've been betrayed, but I started the, you know, we met together the month before virtually. And I just said, it's going to be a little different than most of the retreats for betrayed. We're not talking about betrayal and we're not sharing our stories because you are not your stories. And it was confusing for a lot of them like because we connect to that and it's how we can connect to others but instead we chose to connect in other vulnerable ways that were beautiful and broke us open that had nothing to do with the heartache and the pain it was beautiful and to me I don't even know if I would have liked that in the beginning of my recovery like no, I want to talk about the hard stuff. That's because how we- I want to go in and rip off the bandaid and do the work and dig out the crap so I can get well. Right. Yeah. And there is something to be said for that. Sometimes I think, you know, I, but the thing that I hear about the experience that you shared from your retreat that I really want to acknowledge is it's not that our stories don't matter because they mm-hmm. do, but we repeated them a lot of times. We were running them in our mind on a loop all the time. We're constantly reinforcing them until we embody them. And we embody them in a way that is, becomes a very difficult quote unquote truth to unravel. It becomes integrated in our sense of self, integrated in our identity, integrated in the way that we show up, integrated in our health, our physical health, our mental health. Like it becomes so integrated and it gets so much power over our life, whatever the story is. And the story may be absolutely objective fact, Mm -hmm. but the odds are it's probably not everything's subjective because we're experiencing it through whatever lens of experience we have. We bring with us every single thing that we have. And that's not to say that like in a situation of betrayal, that like somebody didn't do something that they shouldn't have done that really harmed you. Like, I'm not trying to say at all that like the the pieces of the story that are objective facts aren't Mm -hmm. objective facts that we have to acknowledge that there's subjective pieces in there too, that we are also reinforcing unnecessarily they they aren't even I mean they're just a thought we had like oh I'm I'm worthless Mm -hmm. like that's a thought that is now injected into the story that we're constantly replaying and replaying and replaying and so getting into an environment where we say hey we have replayed these stories enough and now we're ready to process the emotion behind them it's actually been really interesting in um the like neuroscience community and in um the therapy community and the trauma recovery community they're learning so much more about the fact that we don't always have to know or 
understand precisely where the emotion comes from. We don't ever have to, not ever, but we don't have to actually sit down and say this exact thing happened in this way. And I felt this, and now I'm processing that Mm -hmm. we can sit down and be with ourselves in a totally gentle and loving way and have a feeling come up and process the feeling and not even attach it necessarily to a memory, to anything. We can process that emotion and it can be as healing as other forms of therapy. And in many cases they're finding, and I hate saying this, like part of me wants to like cover my mouth so that like the therapists out there don't get mad at me, but it can be, and they're finding often is even more, um, healing in a, I don't want to say, I guess, I guess the word accelerated a slightly accelerated, um, pace yeah. than traditional talk therapy where we're just like, sure reiterating the same things over and over again. So what you did yeah. was, was actually brilliant. And even if people arc their backs at it for a second, my guess is that by day two, yeah. <laughs> everyone was like, oh my gosh, this was exactly what I needed yeah. because you gave them framework and tools rather than just being like, all right, here's the cesspool. Let's all jump in and throw <laughs> at each other and compare our shit. Like, oh yeah, mine yeah. looks like that too. Oh yeah. Yours looks like that. Oh, yours is awful. I can't like, and let's then you trigger each other. Yeah. yeah. It's all and then it. you go home and everyone just covered in shit. Like that's not very fun. Like, and they've added shit, new shit that isn't even their shit. And now they have to carry all the shit. That's not a very fun life. <laughs> so I, I think that, that what you did was, was incredibly brilliant. And I, I mean, you tell me, but I would imagine that the response was, um, was pretty profound. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, I truly took talk therapy has a place for everyone, I think, but for me, I do better with actual uh, reprocessing therapy. Yes, and and changing the way I'm thinking about something, and so I gave them the experiences that changed and shifted me, and all in one little weekend. So yeah, yeah. even the first night it was just a breathwork class, but that broke us all open, and I yeah. was right there with them, crying and screaming and laughing. Yep, and, and it felt great. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's kind of amazing too. It makes me think I, we, we can't delve into this. This would be a whole other episode, but it, uh, the idea of breath work and a lot of the healing that can be done with that, with the processing of emotions and like through somatic therapy and different things like that. Um, there is so much of an alignment between the way that we see people's brains shifting through that kind of work mm-hmm. and the way that we see them shifting through, um, therapeutic psychedelic experience, right. Yeah, things psilocybin. Like psilocybin and different mm-hmm. things that they're now studying and that are, that are gaining traction, um, especially in the treatment of PTSD and um, treatment resistant depression. And a lot of that is available right now through things like breath work, through things like somatic work. Like I am a big fan of psilocybin assisted therapy. I really, really am. And I cannot wait for it to be legalized. And I cannot wait for it to be more accessible. I really believe that there's so much there. Um, but in the meantime, there's also a lot of other yeah. really cool things like breath legal work. ways, <laughs> legal exactly. and yeah. simple yeah. ways down the street. <laughs> yes, exactly. They are accessible to you right now. But one thing um, I want to say is that I know a lot of people that listen to your show, like you said, have gone through or are going through difficulties with betrayal or divorce, um, or it sounds like maybe just major transitions in life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, it it's interesting because I think that when we think of grief, we think of things like that, or we think of like my child dying or, you know, or there's just, there's, there's like a list of things that we have put in this box called 
worthy grief, right? <laughs> and then we carry around this box that says, I uh, have my worthy grief and we're miserable, but it's worthy misery, right? Yes. And um, I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, grief comes in all different ways for all different reasons. We grieve small things, we grieve big things. And so if anybody's listening, thinking, oh, this isn't for me, that isn't necessarily true, right? Like we feel emotions all day, every day that need to be processed, or they're just going to embed themselves somewhere and come up in another way. It could be from something that you don't even remember as a child, but that's why it's so important to tune in, slow down, and just acknowledge the thoughts, acknowledge the feelings. We don't have to trace them all the way back to their source all the time. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's value in that, but there's also a lot of power and value in just holding it saying, I'm here for you. Thank you so much. Because I know like, so for example, um, I talk to my limbic system a lot. So maybe that's the example that I'll use, but let's say anxiety. So mm -hmm. I family history of anxiety. I come by it like, so honestly, like if you look back, like I'm surprised we've made it this far in like <laughs> my family DNA, <laughs> just anxious, anxious, anxious. And, um, my anxiety will come up. It, it, who knows? I could just be walking into Costco. Like there's no reason, no rhyme or reason. I could just wake up in the morning and I'm anxious, like almost ready to have a panic attack. And I will truly take a deep breath and just feel that anxiety. And I will imagine it getting as big as it can possibly be. And just overwhelming my entire body. I don't even need to know what it's about, mm -hmm. but then I just say to it like, Hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Thank you. Because I know that your goal right now is to help me mm -hmm. because you're worried and your, your whole desire is to protect. And then I'll imagine myself talking to my limbic system, which just for the sake of like a little tidbit of information doesn't, it, it, you have to imagine it like a toddler, that part of our mm -hmm. brain doesn't evolve or, or grow or mature past like two or three years old. Like we're talking to like a little toddler. And if we're saying like, stop being anxious, suck it up, like get better, heal your emotional scars. Like, like that, and what two or three year olds going to respond to that. But if you are like imagining, which I do, I imagine myself down on my, my knees saying like, Hey, I know right now that you are trying to help me, but I'm okay. Like, mm -hmm. I really am. I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm good. And you, my sweet, wonderful limbic system, who I love so much. And I like imagine myself like wrapping my arms around like my little baby self or whatever. You get to relax. You can just relax. I'm, I'm fine. And I'm going to be able to handle this just fine. And it's amazing. Cause then going back to the breath work, a few deep breaths, and it's like, you can just feel that anxiety dissolving mm -hmm. now that works for anything, no matter, you know, where you are in your grief journey or just regular life that can be mm -hmm. really hard and throw stuff at us. Um, mental health relationships with neighbors. My neighbors are doing, speaking of neighbors, someone's like <laughs> drilling or sawing or something outside. But, um, in all of these different areas of our life, there's space for this. But then the next thought that comes to my mind is, okay, well, where do you start? Because if I'm listening to this, I'm going, well, how, right? Like, mm -hmm. how do I go from like thinking I'm worthless? This is my fault to something different that we are like actually choosing a belief and a thought that we're choosing to believe is true until we know and embody the fact that yeah. it's true. And I would say that a lot of it comes down to that very thing that I just mentioned, which is just allowing those things to exist with a, a warm embrace without making them mean anything like, oh, hey, anxiety, interesting. And we're curious about it. Like, oh, hey, hey, you, what you doing here? It's been a minute. I love you. Thank you. I know what you're trying to do here and I'm good. Deep breath, exhale. You can relax. 
We're good. And you can start doing that until it starts to become second nature. Yeah. And all these new neurons just start to fire and our brains start to shift and it happens faster than we ever could imagine. Yeah. And it takes time. Like you're saying, it's not like a, you're going to do it once and then never have anxiety again. And it is this ongoing practice. Um, yeah. It's my best friend was talking about feelings and emotion and not feeling the desire to work their way through it. And was describing what I thought was a great example. He said, you know, when the trash gets full and so you just like keep shoving it down, <laughs> like let's just push it down and I'm going to make space for more garbage. Yeah. Right. And then and there gets to a point where we can't shut, yeah. you know, my, my garbage is in my Island. There's a drawer, a door on it and yeah. I wouldn't be able to shut it anymore. Yeah. So until I choose to stop stuffing yeah. that garbage in, and take it out. Yeah. It's just a mess. Yeah. And my well, house and starts to stink. Yes. That's what I was going to say. And it's, not, I it's start no to longer, feel icky. Like it's, it's so no many longer things. contained. It's no longer contained to the kitchen. It's like, even in your bedroom, you're like, Oh, it's that weird smell. Like every <laughs> facet of your life is now filled with, you know, this yeah. thing that really could be a very, no, I don't want to like, again, I don't want to oversimplify, but it could be contained in a way that didn't, it doesn't have to wreak so much havoc, right? Yes. So for example, when we're in hypervigilance or high alert and that part of our brain that is saying, fight, fight, you know, like, go, go, go. You gotta, when that is overactive, everything starts to feel so, so big. And a part of that is in response to the things that didn't really need to be big that we kept pushing down because we've kind of set our baseline at a little bit stressed and trying to avoid it, <laughs> right? And when we're a little bit stressed and trying to avoid it, and like somebody like merges in front of us, like even in like mm. a nice way with their blinker. And we have like a full on like road rage moment. And we're like, who is this Hulk inside me? Well, maybe it's because like, if you're already on high alert all the way up mm -hmm. here at the top of like your limit with that trash, <laughs> anything is going to push you over. Right. Yeah. And, um, there's just, there's just so much here for the inquisitive mind particularly as it relates to how can I do this with gentleness? Do I deserve gentleness? And my answer to every single one of us is we deserve to heal gently. We deserve to heal with love. We deserve to heal with support. And we deserve more than anything else to provide those things for ourselves because talk about empowering. And at first it feels potentially, I don't want to like say that this is like, definitive, but it can at first feel like you're like just lying or faking or pretending or poly Pollyanna again, Google yeah. it guys. But over time, our brains believe what we repeat to them yes. and new neural pathways begin to form. Like you said, I'm, can you hear that? I'm so We're sorry. Fine. It's okay, just it's a like, bit. They're, yeah. Hawaii life with our plantation windows and our, like, it's so loud to me. Okay. Anyway, but, um, if you imagine, like you said, you live in Utah and let's just pretend like you're trying to go from Provo to Salt Lake. And every single time you ever drive, you drive on the I-15 and over time, like I, I lived in Utah when I was learning to drive. And it was like, right when they were getting ready for the Olympics and it was construction mm. all the time, that was the only way to go. And it was a pain in the butt to drive from Provo to Salt Lake. It was like really yes. hard. It's like being on like, the, scary. like those luge things. What are they called? Yes. Like the toboggans or whatever. I truly was like, well, this is how I'll die. I've always wondered. And now I know. 
but I have um, the same memory. <laughs> yes. Right. I know anybody from that, like little era, like we all, we all do the same trauma. We need to release yes. <laughs> some breath work will probably help. But, um, anyway, like if we think of it being our brains being like that, and we're running this system or this story or this way of responding or this way of managing, it doesn't, I don't really, specificity doesn't matter, but it's almost as if like, we're adding potholes and we're adding construction, mm. we're adding delays. And like over time, it just becomes the clunkiest, most like horrible route, but there's no other route that our brain has because the only one we're ever running is this one. Right. And so then when we start, to say, okay, let's explore some new options. Potentially what starts to happen is those neurons fire in a new way and they spread out and suddenly you've got, okay, well, I could go this way. I could go mm -hmm. around right here. I could go this way. Oh, maybe I could go up over. This would be like a hassle. I could go up over Heber and down through Parley's Canyon or, you know, like you start to find new ways and then you reinforce those and reinforce those and reinforce those until eventually I-15 just is gone. And you have 97 other pathways that are really serving you. But in the beginning, it's just reinforcing and reinforcing and reinforcing whether or not you've embodied it as a truth holding on to the, the reality that you can embody it as a truth yeah. that I am, I am, um, on the path to believing, or I am, I am open to the possibility that I am worthy. I am open to the possibility that I can be my own best friend and my own best advocate. I am open to the possibility that healing doesn't have to be so grueling all the time. I'm open to the possibility that I can be in pain and I can have a lot of complications in my life and I can still feel a sense of light. I can still feel a sense of equilibrium. I can still feel a sense of joy. Mm -hmm. I have all the letters of the alphabet from A to Z. There's an See, infinite number of possibilities. Did you ever feel this in your, in your bigger grief in life? Um, where you felt guilty for feeling joy or feeling happy because this is, um, I know I did, but I get this question a lot in my groups where women start to find that healing and they start to have more moments in their day where they're seeing gratitude, they're feeling happy, they're having fun moments and they're, they immediately go, oh no, because they're afraid if someone sees that I'm happy, they'll forget my pain. And they'll treat me like I'm okay. And I'm not okay. Yeah. That's actually incredibly insightful. I didn't, I didn't like the last part you said about like the, how that affects relationships. That's mm. not at all where I thought your brain was going. But then when you said that, that's a totally different question because at first I'm thinking, did I ever feel guilty for feeling happy? Like when I should quote unquote be sad, of course, but I didn't think of the social component of that. And I do, I do think that that definitely is something that all of us have probably experienced. Um, I, I'm not sure the best way to answer that, but I would, some insight for people to think about is that idea of setting a baseline, right? Like if we've set a baseline of like, I'm this happy up to like my eyes, mm -hmm. but I'm not happy all the way up to the crown of my head. Just, I'm only going to be happy to here, <laughs> to my eyeballs. And then when we start to kind of surpass that, perhaps there's a part of our brain that's like, uh, 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 right. Because we have Bring hit that limit and we need to start to kind of like expand that a little bit. But a lot of that comes back to that idea of being empowered and asking yourself, do I, yes, you want support and you need support and you need the people, your social network to be there for you. You do, you need that. And you're allowed to ask for that. 
So you're allowed Mm -hmm. to be happy and you're allowed to feel great and have people see that. And you're allowed to say later, Hey, I am really struggling today. I know I seemed really great the other day and that was true, but today I'm really hurting and becoming your own best friend who advocates for yourself and is willing to accept whatever emotion you're experiencing as fair and reasonable Mm -hmm. and worthy of some nurture. Right. And little by little expanding, you know, that roof that we've placed on, um, on the top of our, our baseline for happiness and joy. Um, but when you first started asking that or talking about that, what came to my mind was I didn't as much feel, I don't recall feeling a lot of guilt around happiness, but I do recall feeling a lot of guilt when other people were going through similar pain to what I had been through Mm -hmm. and my life was good. I felt like I needed to be sad. Like, because I had so much empathy and I felt so much guilt, like if someone lost a child and, and I do, I get, I'm sure the same way. I'm sure you get so many messages from people who have been through betrayal or going through divorce. Well, I get that for all the people who've ever lost a yeah. child or have a neighbor who lost a child or a cousin of a friend in, you know, Guam that their dad knew 87 years ago. Like, you know what I mean? Who lost their, yes. I get, I get so much of that. And, and I would get to the point where I would just think like, oh my gosh, I, I can't even like exist in a way that's happy because it feels so unkind. I feel like I'm not being a good, um, like I'm not, I'm not being what's a witness. I'm not witnessing correctly and not being like a compassionate witness. If I'm happy in my life, you know, and then I, right. I mean, I think, I think that's relatable to a lot of us, especially Uh like once you get to a certain point in the journey. And I finally had to realize that the best way I could serve myself and others was to do exactly with the other people's emotions and stories that I was taking on as I do with my own. I am here for you. I love mm-hmm. you. You serve a purpose. I'm so glad that I feel this compassion and I'm okay. And they will be okay too. And I know that they'll be okay because I'm okay. And this is going to be really hard for them, but there's also all these wonderful things that are going to happen in their lives. It's not like I'm telling them this because no, that wouldn't no, be no, no. kind. Like, yeah. oh, you're going to be fine. Like, just give it a, give it a few, give it 10 years, give it yes. a decade. <laughs> just a few steps ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for myself to be able to allow myself to live a full and rich and happy life and dissolve any feelings of guilt I had about doing that. Um, and that took, that took, that took some time and it took a toll. It really was, um, that was probably one of the harder things for me because I, uh, identify as a helper. I identify as like a a loyal friend who's there Mm -hmm. and I'm like in it with you. And, um, but I also, you also have to pace yourself and realize that me suffering over someone else's suffering doesn't actually alleviate their suffering at all. It just means that now I'm suffering, which makes me potentially less equipped to help them and others. And so that doesn't mean that we don't feel empathy and that we don't feel uh, love and that we don't care and look out for, but it means that we do it in a way that is healthy and boundaried. And um, we don't make their story our own because we don't need yes. to fill. We already have a full trash can. We don't need to be putting other people's <laughs> trash in now too. We'll be in big trouble when we start yes. doing that. Right? Everyone take out your own trash. Mm-hmm. This is the message of the podcast. No. And isn't that uh, cool that you can do that every day? Like, like literally, right? Oh, I hate taking out the trash. I hate taking out the trash. I never do it. My kids do it. It's like, it's like the thing that I never do, but when everyone's out of town, which every now and then will happen, I will take out the trash and 
I have this thing in my head that it's the worst, hardest job and I should never, ever have to do it. And then I actually do it. And I'm like, this is actually really easy. Why do my kids bitch about this? So much? <laughs> but I realized it's the idea of the thing that is so much harder. My resistance yeah. to the thing is so much harder and so much more detrimental to my long-term and my immediate wellness than actually just pushing past that resistance for the five seconds it takes to lift the lid off the trash can and get that bag out. Oh. Right. The energy we put, yeah, we put so much energy into that negative. Yeah. Into the avoidance and into the yes. constant running that with our background. Yeah. For, for sure. sure. And then the one way the we can do that, mm-hmm. well, it just goes back to what you said. One way that can be done is like you brought up breath work and I am a big proponent, man. Like every single night, five minutes, if you can just spend five minutes of diaphragmatic breathing, like breathing deep into your belly. If you've got little kids, one of the greatest gifts, gifts you can give them is every night you're like, okay, family time, come on, let's get together. Everyone lays down in the living room together, put a stuffed animal on their tummy, right in between their belly button and their, or like, like put on their belly button, that's fine. Put on their belly button and say, we're going to take, you know, 10 deep breaths. And we're going to, instead of having our chest go up and down, we're going to watch our belly go up and down and mm-hmm. see how big we can get our belly. Right. And you do that for five minutes and then maybe the next day, six minutes and seven minutes, and then make that a process in your life. That is, and I guess I should say that can be if your mind is in the right spot and your, um, desire is, um, if you're truly committed, a lot of this takes buy-in. I think that that's what Mm -hmm. I need to say here is that sometimes it's hard when something seems simple like I was saying before, it makes it feel diminishing. And which means that even if that simple thing could work, we're like, oh, that could work, but I'm not going to do it because I'm offended that that simple thing could work. Right. So for me, it really, a lot of it was saying, I am so sick of being sad. I am so sick of being scared. I'm so sick of aching. I am so tired of it that I will do anything. If somebody came in here right now and said, you put this essential oil on your left eyebrow every night before bed and you will be healed. Like I would have done that. Yeah, like, I've, and, like, exactly. Every <laughs> left eyebrow, left eyebrow. Like I would have just done it. I would have done it like all day, every day. And I would have believed. And it was at that point where I realized I need to stop judging what healing has to look like. I need yes. to stop saying it has to look like this. And my horrible pain deserves for it to look like this because Mm -hmm. the harder it is to heal, the more I'm validating the reality of how incredibly obliterative what was done to me was, or what I went through was, and you can stay there as long as you want. Like whoever is listening right now, I want you to know that you have permission to stay there as long as you want. And I beg you not to, Mm -hmm. I beg you to say to yourself, I'm ready to get better, whatever that looks like. Even if that means saying, I'm by believing that taking five minutes to breathe deeply every night could actually help me as a daily practice, take out some of that emotional, uh, emotional trash and not make that mean, not choose to make that mean that you're oversimplifying your grief or that you're diminishing your experience, but instead choose to make it mean I'm willing to do whatever it takes to heal. And I am willing to believe that this could help me. And then the next day you do it and you go, wow, this is helping me. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you do it and go, wow, this is really helping me. And then the next day you wake up and you're craving it. And then the next day you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, I'm a different person. And then that just continues to shift and shift and shift until suddenly 
your relationship with your story is different. And that doesn't mean it didn't happen. That doesn't mean that everything just disappeared and it's all magic and fairies and, and flowers and whatever we love. I was going to say bumblebees, but I got stung by a bee the other day. So I'm like, we're kind of no like, bees. the bees and I are like in the outs, whatever, you know, <laughs> I was actually trying to save it. I want you to know from drowning in the ocean and it stung mm-hmm. me. And then I was like, F you, but also I would be scared too. If some big giant was like trying to like lift me up out of the water. So I kind of get it but he died. So he got what he deserved, I guess. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the point is I love bees guys. Don't cancel us because I do love bees. They're important. Honey is good. Pollination. All of that's great. Um, uh, equal rights for, for all, all bees everywhere. Um, <laughs> got it. okay. But the idea is I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. <laughs> this is, this is why I couldn't ever be a stand-up comedian. Cause I tell one joke and be like, that's all I've got. Been a and great night. Thank you folks. <laughs> All right. I'm going to, I'm going to respond to what you were saying because I love all of it. Um, and you can feel, I hope our listeners can feel your heart and your desire for people to be in whatever they need to be in. I know from my experience, you know, from yours, we don't make change until we're ready. Yeah. And we may have every resource and all the money in the world to heal but until we choose to take that first, it's a, it was a giant leap for me to take that first step. But after that, it's just one bajillion baby steps. Yeah. And, and it truly is. um, I feel like, you know, people are like, well, how do I know? How do I know when it's over, when the grief, when I can, when I know that I've healed or the forgiveness is there and, you know, I've taken all my walls down, you know, brick by brick. And for me, it was never this giant moment of like, oh, I've taken all my walls down. I'm healed. It really is little teeny moments that have nothing to do with my trauma. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, I just showed up different. Yeah. And I liked that. I liked how I just showed up because it was not the pattern that I played my whole life. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about baby steps and just like what I would add to the end of that sentence is little tiny baby steps repeated every single day as yeah. consistently as we possibly can. And that doesn't mean we need to pick 79 things and pick <laughs> one thing, pick two things like, you know, and then just choose, I'm going to do that every day. And yeah. maybe for you, it's exercise. Maybe it's like breathing, maybe it's somatic exercises. At one point, somebody recommended to me laughter yoga. And I felt like such an idiot. And I, I like pulled this thing up on my phone, but again, desperation. And I pulled it up on my phone and it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Even to this day, I remember looking at it and being like, am I sure I want to get better? (laughs) Like if this This is is weird, this is, yeah. If this is like the door I have to walk through, I don't know, but it was, it was silly and ridiculous, but that was the point. The point was to shake up my brain so much and get it into the state of silly and ridiculous that allowed me to be creative and find that space for creative healing and relaxation of those centers of our brain that are on hyper alert saying, be scared, be scared, danger, 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 danger. Right. And something as silly as like these silly little exercises that are like, ho, 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 ha, 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 yay, yay. And you're like laughing. It's so, it was so weird. But now like I do it all the time, just like in my head. And I, I still laugh because it's still funny. And it's like, I feel this little like adjustment in like my limbic system and in my brain and in my neurochemistry that goes like, Hey, yeah, it's hard. And some crazy things happen, but 
maybe not everything has to be taken so seriously yeah. at every moment of every day. Yes. There are some times when you just need to get in the shower and you need to sob your face off and yell and oh. scream and punch some walls. That's okay. But maybe not every moment of every day needs to mm -hmm. feel like that. And if that's true, what could other moments look like? How could I approach this in a way that honors it, but also doesn't have to keep blowing up my life? Yeah. So the example in my life is with repeated. And I know that a lot of people who have dealt with, um, with betrayal, it's often not like a single incident. Yeah. Often yeah. it's like a repeated conditioned, not a condition, but like a repeated, um, event in a marriage or in a relationship that, um, just comes back in a cyclical kind of way sometimes. And so there can be that feeling of like, you start getting better and then everything falls apart again, start feeling better. And then everything goes, falls apart again. And that's very much how my life felt for a long time because of just that kind of like hopscotch from like one mm. really crazy thing to the next, to the next. I remember at one point, um, somebody reached out to me and I might've, I don't even remember somebody that I respected and I feel sad now that I can't remember who it was, but um, she was like, I just want to acknowledge that, like, I really do feel like even one of the major traumas that you've been through would be like mm -hmm. enough for a lifetime. And we're talking about like every few years, you've had another that's just as arguably just as like traumatic and difficult for you. And they've just been back to back to back. And so I started to develop, to develop this belief that the, that the ground was always about like, anytime things got good, the, the bottom was about to fall yeah. off. Right. And yeah. so you're kind of like walking through life, like, like with the hand over your eyes, like feeling in front of you, like, I don't want to see what's coming, but I also don't want to run into anything, you know, and like yeah. just waiting, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, um, I think that this process of asking myself, how could this look different? Not that like, you don't still need to be leery and work through mm -hmm the very real and warranted emotional responses that you're having and not, I mean, there is a reason that we become hypervigilant. There's a reason that our brains go on high alert it, that, I mean, and we're living in a society that supports it left, right, and center. Like the yeah. news is crazy. Like everyone's always yelling at each other. Like we're just so divided, but that means that we're constantly in a state of high alert, not just because of our trauma, but also because of the entire world, right? Everything that's happening is high alert. And so we've got to find ways to get ourselves out of that space of high alert and into a different space of homeostasis. And in the beginning, we may not know how, we may not know what that could possibly look like, but so we can ask ourselves the question, what might it look like? Mm -hmm. If I did know what to do, what might I do? What might I try? What could I experiment with? And that word experiment can be so powerful for people who are stuck or who are in that space of kind of like, being a little bit leery about moving forward because there's a lot of fear. Um, and that makes sense. Um, and I really want to acknowledge when I say that makes sense, I get it because you have actual evidence that like your brain has actual evidence that bad things happen and that they happen more than once and that they happen more than twice and that they happen more like there is evidence there, but there is also other evidence that you can find. And that requires us saying, okay, let's be curious. Let's experiment with this. How could I potentially show up in this moment differently? How could I potentially try to move through this space a little bit differently? And, um, there's so much power in that. Um, there's one more story that I, I just really quickly want to share. Cause I know that we're running short on time. Um, this helped me. So the lesson that I learned through this experience helped me so, so much. And, um, 
I don't share it very often because it makes me feel kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but not like in an embarrassed, like I'm such an idiot way, but like in an irresponsible way, like that's so irresponsible, mm-hmm. Natalie. Um, so when you live in Hawaii, you like respect the ocean, like that you just respect the ocean. We, we treat it with reverence. Um, it is like the sacred, powerful thing that you have reverence and awe for. And, um, I'm also a really strong swimmer and maybe got a little bit overconfident, <laughs> a little cocky. And my husband and I were in Bali and, um, there was this cliff and it was like stormy water down below, um, probably about 40 feet up, maybe a little bit higher, give or take again, the number thing it was a thousand feet high. And it was like a platform, like the size of like a <laughs> diving board. I don't know. No, it had to have been at least it like was 20. big. It was bigger than the rock at Waimea, which is around 20 or 30 feet. So it was at least 20 or 30 feet or bigger. So, um, I, there's like a platform there and I realized, oh, people jump off this. How fun, right? Like I can do this. I'm a strong swimmer. I've totally got this. This is no big deal. And my husband is a surfer and he's looking at like the way that the tides are coming. And he's like, babe, I don't know. Like this might not be a good idea. I was like, I am totally fine. Like I'm such a strong swimmer. Look, I'll just jump in and look, there's a little rope ladder right there. I'll be totally fine. And he really, he was, he's so supportive and he's so good at trusting my own instincts. That's like one of my favorite things about our marriage that we really do respect each other's, um, instinct. And we really do honor each other's, um, sense of self, even if we disagree with it, which Mm -hmm. we disagree a lot, like about a lot of things that are actually quite important in a lot of other people's lives, you know, like we don't vote for the same politicians. I'll tell you that, Mm -hmm. but we also still like respect that about each other. And it's kind of beautiful and amazing, but anyway, so um, I'm standing on the top of this. My husband's like, babe, I love you. And if you want to do this and you feel good about it, I trust you. I'm here. And I'm like, okay. And so I jump off this freaking cliff and within it was the jump down was fine, but within probably 25 seconds, I was like, I'm in trouble. Like I knew I was in trouble. And at this point, my kids have already lost their uncle who was my only sibling. He was my best friend. He lived with us from when he was 16 to when he was 21. So I brought all of my babies home to this big brother, uncle guy at home with my husband and I, right? So like, this was a major loss for them. They'd also lost their brother. They also, I mean, there were just so many things that had happened, not just to me, but to all of us. And I had this thought, there's no way in hell that I'm dying. Like I am not leaving my kids. Like I have to fight. And I started to swim as hard as I could towards that rock like that, that rope ladder. And, um, I swam and swam and swam. And I looked up and I was further away and there Mm. were sets of waves coming in and they were just crashing. And I could barely even catch my breath in between sets long enough to be ready to be pushed under again, thrown down into this really sharp, jagged reef. And I, this went on for probably like, it felt like an hour and a half, probably about Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. And my husband's standing up there and he doesn't want to leave because he doesn't want to take his eyes off of me because he knows that if he needs to jump in and save me, or if someone else needs to jump in and save me, he needs to know where I am. Because if I go under, I'm gone and you're not going to find me. Right. And so finally he like yells and some guy comes over with a surfboard and they're like ready to jump in and save me. And then this local guy comes up and I can't really hear them uh, because I'm 175 feet down below, but, (laughs) but they're up above. You can tell I use humor is as a deflection for my, my great trauma. Hey, that's another great tool to try though, guys. I agree. It's a a dark humor is like my second best friend. 
my first best friend is caffeine. Just kidding. It's not, it makes me too anxious, but anyway, so I'm drowning and they're up above and they're yelling something to me. I literally can't hear them. And finally, I really do have this thought exactly these words, but I'm going to like censor them because there was an F word in them. And I just out of respect for your audience, as well as my commitment to trying to swear less because one of my teenagers hates it. I will not say that word, but, um, I literally said F you, and I'm talking to like God, the universe, like whatever. I'm like, mm-hmm. F you, if you let me die, I will kill you. <laughs> That's what goes through my mind. But also as I'm like sobbing, crying, which doesn't make it very easy to hold your breath. Like this yeah. was a very, I'm being silly, but this was a very scary situation. And I put my head down and I kicked as hard as I could. I was on the swim team in high school. I was a lifeguard. Like I swam as hard and as fast and as every bit of my strength until truly there was nothing left. And I brought my head up and I was further away than I had been before. And there was another set coming in and the waves were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, this might be a little bit out there for some people, but I, this is the honest truth from my experience. I heard a voice in my head that said, let go. And I said, hell no. And I tried to swim again, but I was like quivering at this point. I couldn't even keep my head above the water. Like, like, you know, when you're laying in the bathtub and you go under, so just your lips are out and you're like, like almost like through a straw. Like that's how I was like, that's how much air I could get. Cause I couldn't even kick high enough to get my head above the water to get actual gas there. I was drowning, but I'm still trying to swim. And again, I hear the voice let go. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not letting go. I'm going to survive. I'm going to fight. I'm going to win. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. And again, this time it was like a shout, let go. And I just truly like, it was the greatest leap of faith of my life. And I just laid on my back and I put my arms out, like complete submission, complete submission. Like a wave could come crash on me at that moment, push me down to the reef, knock my head. And I, I mean, I, in real life, I've lost several friends to that very type of drowning incident. You think it's just drowning, but really it's often getting hit on the reef and being knocked unconscious. Right. And that's truly going through my mind, complete trust and submission that whatever this voice is knows more than me. And so I completely submit and I lay down and I just shake and I'm sobbing and I'm thinking, I'm never going to see my kids again. This is the end. I failed. I didn't fight hard enough. Um, like, how could I do this to them? You know, like, why am I such, why am I so irresponsible? I couldn't protect them from this, right? All this is going through my mind. This is a story that I'm literally like telling myself in my mind as I'm like drowning, like, how could you drown? How dare you drown? And um, <clears throat> I floated. And within about maybe a minute, I started to realize like, I wasn't like being pressed under the water and I wasn't feeling quite so much, like it didn't feel quite so tumultuous. And so I kind of sat up like, and looked around and what had happened is this horrible, like tsunami whirlwind of death that I had been in. As soon as I floated, there was this current that was invisible to me that had literally floated me out about a hundred yards and drifted me right back into the shore. 
So when I lift my head up, I realize, oh, I can touch. Like I'm, I'm done. Like I, I lived, I survived, but it required me to trust mm. letting go, to trust letting go of the fight, to trust that maybe it didn't have to be so grueling. And I didn't have to have my fists clenched so hard. And I didn't have to have every muscle in my body quivering and shaking. And I didn't have to have so much rage and maybe I really could just submit and float and heal. And that experience informed every other trauma that came after. And I wish I could say that that was the end that my brother died and my son died. And then we lived happily ever after, but that wasn't the case. Like we've experienced a lot of other really, really challenging, hard things in our lives. What I would say is a disproportionate number of hard things, but my wonderful husband in the most loving way reminds me, it might feel disproportionate for a straight white woman living in the Western world. And that helps me realizing that there's a sense of solidarity with people out there who know suffering too, and who are also unseen because I feel love for them. And I see them in my heart. And I'm like, and I know that they see me too. Like we're all together in this, right? Even if we're not face to face, there's this like sense of like spiritual community that, that comes together Mm -hmm. for those who suffer. But, um, the point is that when those hard things happened, moving forward, when the bottom fell out again and again, and it did, I wasn't so afraid. I wasn't so resistant. I wasn't so enraged. I had taught myself how to trust myself and how to trust mm-hmm. that instinctual voice within me or God or the universe. I, I had learned that there was that sacred space of knowing that actually could save me. And it didn't have to save me by first smashing me to dust. That I could say I could be saved by nurture and floating. And it was probably one of the most ultimately, not immediately, but ultimately it was one of the most empowering experiences um, of my life and has informed the way that I've approached basically everything ever since. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for letting me into that space, but also the listeners, because it is a perfect example of everything we've talked about. And Again, you don't have to go and jump off the cliff and have that experience to feel what Natalie is is sharing with you, letting go. Um, It's letting go has been the hardest thing for me to experience in my grief and also the most freeing. Yeah. So I really like um, the terminology of floating. Like we always talk about letting go and I use it all the time too, but sometimes letting go feels like just this, like it is active. I mean, you do actually physically have to let go. Like it is a verb, but the idea of floating for me, I don't know why, but it feels like this, like active participation where I'm like, okay, I'm floating. I'm paying attention to floating. I'm focusing on floating. (laughs) And for some reason, and then the waves can come and go. And I'm, I'm just bobbing up and over and, you know, through the emotion, like I can just bob rather than having to like tread water and swim. And that, that imagery works really well for me. And I'm just offering that because it could work really well for others. Um, and to bring this full circle, like talking about those brides that their weddings were like truly drowned out, you know, yesterday and they danced and they played. And I don't think that that means that two weeks from now, they may not 
breakdown and be really bummed at the wedding, their destination yeah. wedding that they planned for in Hawaii for however many years and all that money and all that, all these people that flew out, they, they'll probably have really like hard times and like really struggle with that and have a lot of joy too, because they chose to be empowered and to face, to accept what was, and to make the most of it, to show up for what was with their whole hearts wide open. Um, and I know you do that. And I know that your listeners do that. And I know that we, um, are all working to do that. And I really do believe that again, it's, it's opting into the way that we think. And I think we can opt into the fact that we're a part of this, like solidarity of this, like sisterhood. And that when I'm working hard and showing up that vibrational energy, I know that it just, some people are out there going like, ah, yeah, well, that's crazy. <laughs> she just, she, she almost lost me at Bumblebee and she completely lost me at like energetic spiritual connection. My gosh. But genuinely, like there's this sense of like energetic connection, which actually, if you want to get into quantum physics, I can give you a science lesson on how it's actually like scientifically like verifiable, but I won't, um, you can Google that when you Google Pollyanna. But anyway, the idea is that like, as we're each working in this way, a high tide raises all ships. Like on the days when you out there, Cindy in Ohio or whatever, are feeling like you cannot get up off the ground, let alone do laughter yoga for crying out loud. I want you to realize you can tap into me because I'm going to be showing up that day and you can gain a little bit from me and you can tap into Ashlyn and you can feel a little bit of that. And you, we can tap into each other and we can recognize that we're all in this work together. And as we all do it, it makes it, I don't want to say easier because it is still hard, mm -hmm. but it shifts the process for all of us. I agree. If we choose that and you created a community where I think you've really encouraged people to choose that. And I really just want to applaud you for that because it's meaningful work. And I know how hard it is. And it's like, you were saying like baby steps, you know, like you have just kept with it. You've been so consistent in, in the show, in the other work that you do. And I, in, oh, I, um, I have this, I have the waves. I yeah, have the bad days. Do, and do, yeah. yeah, I'm human just like everyone else. You're human. Yeah. Um, but it really is the, the floating mm -hmm. and the using the tools that we all have. And we really do live in a time where I feel like that collective healing is more possible yeah. because of the internet, because of podcasts yeah. and yeah. just, there's just more information. There's more people out here who are healing out loud yeah. and it's, it's a beautiful time to heal. Yeah. Oh, I, amen. That's the mic drop moment. It is a beautiful time to heal. Natalie. I love you. I, I don't even you. know you, but I love you. And I love you so I, much. I'm so I appreciate you. Yeah. Just thank you for taking the time and sharing so much of your heart. And um, my listeners can find you. I'll put it all in the show notes, but share where they can find you. Honestly, the best place to find me right now is Instagram. You can, I mean, you can go to iTunes and listen to my podcast. I have taken a hiatus that has ended up being a little bit longer than I had anticipated, but for lots of really good reasons that I'm happy with. Um, but it's called show up with Natalie Norton. Um, there's lots of great, great content there, but, um, in terms of day-to-day -day connecting, um, Instagram and my biggest ask from anybody who does find me there is tell me what you want. Like, honestly, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm a helper and I think that you are too. I think a lot mm -hmm. of us, like really the desire is that idea of high tide raising all ships. Like, how do I do my part? And if we all do our part, right. And sometimes one of the things that is hard is, okay, I really want to do my part, but like, 
what is my part right now? What do Mm -hmm. people need and want? And so that's what I'm always asking for from people. Like you listened to this episode, was there a question like that? As you listened, you were like, Hey, I would love for you to expound on that. Like, and I think the same is I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think the same is true for Ashlyn. Like, tell us what you want and we will give it to you. Like, it's all we want is to give people (laughs) what they need. And so, yeah, those are the places to find me. And, um, I am just so thrilled to connect with your wonderful community and in, um, I don't know, I guess in their stead, thank you. Because I know that if any one of them was sitting in front of you, they would want to express their sincere gratitude because you've been well, very, vice versa, but you, I, you gotta just accept the compliment, shut your mouth. Okay. Finish. Let me finish the sentence. You've been really, really brave for a really long time and you did it as an early adapter, as at a time when not a lot of people were being so open, um, about some of the things that you've been really open about. And I know that, you know, on a conceptual level, but, um, I'm still going to say it again. It, I believe that it saves lives. I really do. I believe that the work that you do saves lives and helps in ways that you may never know the impact, how far and wide. And I just, good job. I'm so proud of you. And thank you for showing up and being doing it when it's hard. So you're amazing. You're so sweet. Thank you. That's a beautiful compliment and I will breathe it in. (laughs) Yep. Just sit with it. Thank you. Your five, your five deep diaphragmatic breaths tonight. (laughs) Be like, Natalie loves me. I'm amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Natalie said I'm awesome. So I'm good. I'm going to bed tonight. Thank you. You're the best. And I'm so glad you were here. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for being here with me today, whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the buffalo.